Blog Talk Radio. today, uh, waiting for co-host Jay Logan to come on. Our amazing guests are Mary Malek. She is from Sudan, top model. This woman does it all, philanthropist. Uh, She is an executive director of Stand for Children uh, Foundation, which is amazing what she does for kids in Sudan. She is also a person who does a lot of philanthropy work with others. She was a face of the Black Ball this year for Alicia Keys. She was a DJ for uh, uh, Fusion, Rise Up. Oh, my God, so many amazing things. So we're going to bring her on in exactly one minute. We're waiting on Jay Logan to come on from Japan. He should be on shortly. And, you know, it's just an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. You know, um, we have also, oh, how could I forget? I'm sorry. We also have on Kweku Mandela from the Africa Rising Foundation and out of Africa Entertainment. I'm not going to say yes, Mandela, you heard the name. He is the grandson of Nelson Mandela. But as many youth, we do not want to recognize him just being the grandson of Nelson Mandela. He is his own person. He's done amazing work. He just came out with uh, Cheryl I hope I pronounced that right, on the power of words, uh, a a collection of words from Nelson Mandela. So I just can't wait to get on. So, you know what, while we're waiting for Mr. J. Logan to come on, we're going to start the show. We're going to bring on Miss Mary Malik, okay? Hello, Mary. How are you today? Hi, Gail. I'm doing well. How are you? We are excited to have you on Listen Give Live Radio. We're just waiting for my co-host to tune in from Japan, as he usually does every week. But we're going to get right into the show, Mary, if that's okay with you. Definitely. Let's do it. Okay. Hold on just one second, Mary. We're going to bring my co-host on. Mr. J. Logan, you're already <laughs> on with Mary Malik and myself. How are you in Japan? I'm doing wonderful, Gail. I'm it's been pretty uh, fantastic out here. Wonderful people, wonderful food, and uh, you know, I'm just having a great time. Um, the different cultures. Still can't speak that great of uh, uh, Japanese that well, but you know, I'm learning. <laughs> well, well, Jay, meet Mary Malik. Mary, meet our co-host Jay Logan for Listen Give Live and Savoy Radio. Hi, Jay. This is Mari Malik. How are you? I'm fine. Um, how are you doing? Well, nice to meet you. I'm glad well, to be on the call with you all. you all. Well, we're excited to Wonderful. have you, Mary. 
We are so excited to have you. You know, we met Mary at the screening for the Good Lie movie with Mark and Nagel and Coos Wilde, who happens to be, Jay, the ambassador for Mary Malik's foundation, Stand for Children. So, Mary, if you don't stand, mind. Stand for Education, by the way. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mary. Stand for <laughs> Education. And just to let everyone know, it's Stand Four, the number four, four, the number four, education.org. So, Mary, we're going to get right into the questions with you. And if you wouldn't mind to answer just the questions, because if you give all the good stuff away, we won't have anything to ask you at the end. Is that okay with you? <laughs> okay, I'll tease you. Okay, no problem. Please do. <laughs> so, so, Mary, you know, um, I'm going to just start out first. You know, Mary, when I met you, it was just amazing. So, Jay, I'm I'm going to say this. Everyone, I do have a husband, so I'm not, like, you know, hitting on Mary or anything. But Mary is one of the most beautiful women, Jay, I've ever seen. Very beautiful. Oh, and, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, no problem. What I want to start off with, Mary, especially for our youth, okay, you know, you have worked so hard coming here to the United States, Okay. And so many youth take for granted what they have, okay? You are one of the top women DJs in the world. You are a mo- a super, one of the supermodels. And you have your philanthropist, and you're also a founder and uh, executive director of an amazing foundation for education and youth. My question to you is, when you first came, you know, when you first left Sudan, what was the experience for you of leaving Sudan and coming to the United States? And did you think that you would be where you are right now when you, you know, when you were in the midst of leaving out of Sudan, coming into the U.S.? Did you think you would be doing all this? Um, good question. Um, when we left, it was crazy. There was a war going on. I was born during the second civil war in South Sudan. Uh, in the 80s, and um, everything was just happening so fast and so crazy, and I was a young girl, so I had some very traumatic memories as well as great memories about my home. Um, At some point, I found out that my mom is taking us out of the country because the war was breaking out, and she wanted us to leave so that we have a better chance of having our life come together. And she wanted us to get educated and um, be safe. So we escaped and from South Sudan and we went to Egypt. And from Egypt, we had to stay there for about um, four, almost maybe five years Wow. until we were sponsored to come into the USA. There were a lot of refugees that escaped um, either to Kenya or as, um, from the south to the north and went into Egypt. So those were the two places The main, um, most of the South Sudanese were going to stay um, as refugees until they um, come into the USA. So that's what happened. Um, So we finally were sponsored and came into the USA in 1997, Um, stayed in New Jersey, Newark, which was another another crazy place that we were living in at the time. 
Um, and my mom did not like it at all. It was too cold. It was there were violence, and she just didn't want us to be there. And we were probably some of the very few Sudanese that were in the country. But somehow we found our relatives in um, San Diego. So within three months, our case was transferred to California, and we stayed in California. And I went to high school there and college and finally made it to New York at this point. So I will let you ask another question, and then I'll tell you more. (laughs) Well, no, what I'd really like to know is, between the time that you left there and came here, since you've already shared with that, but did you ever see in your goals or in your life that when you came over here, did you ever realize that you would be a female DJ and producer, you know, a a philanthropist, you know, an executive director? Did you ever see yourself doing these things? No. um, Honestly, my mom and my father... And probably most of the parents, they just want their children to be like doctors and lawyers, and which is great. But I, at that time, the the thing that we would only think about was our safety and being with our family and in our home. You know, mm-hmm. I never really thought like uh, we're gonna go to America so I can become a model or a DJ. I didn't even know those things existed really. Mm-hmm. So, no, it was just a part of my journey, I guess. Wow. Well, Jake, wow. do you have a question for for Mary? Yes. Um, Mary, my question is, um, how was it having 20-something, you know, your other sisters and brothers, was that, did you get a chance to experience being with them also when you were in uh, South Sudan? Yeah, um, when we were living in South Sudan, the, most of our family was together. My 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 father had four wives, and, well, my mom was his third wife, so at the time it was three wives. And um, But in our home, they didn't all live together. However, all the kids were together. They were with us, with my mom and my dad. And my mom raised all of us. And um, like wow. when we were, when Christmas was coming around or something like that, my dad had to like have a bus to to take us somewhere, you know, because we were all. I have like over twenty sisters and brothers. Oh my God! Um, wow. Yeah. And your and your <laughs> and mother raised family. all of them. Yeah, most of them. Um, the, there were probably three that weren't around at the time. So, yeah, she raised a lot of children. And um, when we left, she took us, you know, because we're not all. It was we're not all her children. So she took me and my two other sisters when we escaped. My father did not want to leave. South Sudan. He never left still. Wow. And um, my mom was like, okay, I'm going to take my um, girls with me. But in a way, she really didn't explain what she was doing to my dad because I think my dad didn't really want us to leave. But um, she made a good decision as a mother. Wow. 
Well, you know, what I'd like to know, Jay and Mary, is when did you segue? So you're here going to high school, you're in San Diego, you come over to New York. At what point mm-hmm. did you see yourself that you, you know, you, you, you were in San Diego, you came over to New York, and then here you are experiencing another culture, another country, different states, and where did you start seeing yourself getting into modeling and that you started to like it and getting into music and find yourself deviating from, like, the lawyer and the doctor and the scientist that your mother or dad would have wanted you to do? Where did you see yourself deviating? And how did that also affect you with your relationship with your parents, especially being from mm-hmm. another culture? Um, yeah, I, it it was like a risk when I, did, when I chose to... Um, become a model because our parents don't look at that as a career or, you know, something um, respectable. Now it's different, but um, I, it had to be a a choice that came over time because I was very scared to take that chance. And also I, um, I had to help my mom, you know, she's a, she was a single mom. She was always working. I'm the oldest child, so I had to grow up at a very young age taking care of my sisters to help my mother. And so I couldn't make choices really for myself a lot of the time. I have to think about, oh, is that a good choice for my own family? So after having thoughts of that for such a long time and every single day since we came to America, I always get approached by people saying, you should be a model, you know, are you a model? So that constantly stayed around in my mind as well as, oh, my God, is that a good choice for me to make because of my family? And I finally got the guts, um, but I waited until I finished high school for me to really approach the modeling. At least I I wanted to finish high school. And, um, but... it took over time. It, I didn't just go right into it. I thought about it. I kind of got my feet wet with it here and there. L.A. was close, so I was able to do a little bit in L.A. And um, while I was in college, I ended up meeting someone, and I we, we basically <laughs> I got pregnant, and um, he was my first love at the time, and so after I had my child, it seemed like I was more stronger to make decisions as an an older person, you know. And I wanted to make choices that I wouldn't regret for for my future, whether it has to do with me or my mother, my family. And I had to follow my heart, and my heart was telling me living the way I was was not the right thing for my own journey and I and I needed to listen to the messages I was getting every day. I, I don't believe in coincidences really. So having to hear every time about me becoming a model, I was like I needed to try that and if that's gonna help us financially as well and I can help my mother more. I, I can actually pay for my own school. I'm gonna try it and I can take care of my daughter in a better environment, and um, I finally made a decision to come to New York one day, and when I came, my life started here. I did not want to leave anymore. I was like, okay, this is, I felt more spiritually open. 
it seemed like whatever I thought about was kind of aligning with, with the energy, with the different energy I was in at that moment. And I told my mother, like, you know, I would like her support to just, you know, and respect the decision that I'm going to go for the modeling and, um, you know, continue with this journey and, and see where it takes me. And it seemed like it worked out for me. Everything started to just make sense at the right time, you know. That's so beautiful. It's, uh, Jay, do you have a question for her? Yes, I would like to know about um, when you got to Egypt, uh, I, I was reading about that there was a lot of bullying going on. Why were mm-hmm. the Egyptians bullying your family, and what was that like? Um, yeah, there was, I, it was more like, you know, racism. The Egyptians have a thing towards, um, South Sudanese, darker skin again, another one of those cases. Um, so we experienced that as children, you know, I I was nine years old, taking my sisters to school. Um, we had to go to school on our own because our parents were always working, um, so it was just um, a crazy, dramatic traveling to school and and back to school was always fighting with Egyptians, um, mainly because of racism, ignorance, you know. Wow. 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 You, you know, um, Jay and Mary, you know, uh, uh, Mary, shall we call you Mari, Mary, or Mary? Mari, Mari. <laughs> okay. Mari, you know, one of the questions that I, I really have for you, you know, Jay and I had a set of questions for you, but you spoke so beautifully about your story. Um, one of the things I'd love to know is, so you got into modeling, you loved that, but how in the world did you become a DJ? Um, yeah, again, another case of, I don't know, things happening. I I would always see myself, imagining beats and making songs and beats in my head so and then the modeling opened that door up for me because be being around amazing events going to great parties uh, meeting people in the fashion industry of course the fashion and the music industry are not too far from each other and I just kind of got intrigued by it um and I wouldn't see too many female DJs either, so that kind of made me curious. And <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? I think I would be great at doing this. It was just a thought that clicked one day, and I um, went and got some equipment, and I started to practice, and was a hobby, and from there it just started picking up as a profession, you know, word of mouth. And if people like what you do, they're going to want to know more. So from there people will start hiring me, and now it evolved into me being a producer, and I want to make my own music now and experience with that and experiment with the different genres of music that I've learned here in America, use some of my roots from Africa and see what I can create with it and maybe something beautiful will come out of that. So that's another expression of me that I that I came to find out here in New York and um I'm exploring with that at the moment. 
I know. I can't wait to share, you know, to do some work with you together with Jay. So that would be, that'd be amazing. Yeah, Jay, have, I can't yeah, either. <laughs> Jay, do you have any questions for, um, for Mari? Yes. Uh, how do you feel about, um, Mari, uh, your daughter being raised in another uh, culture now that she's over here and having a second chance? Are you happy that you have you have her over here in America opposed to in your native country? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, everything happens when it's supposed the way it's supposed to happen. So with the environment, I believe there are crazy places in America. There are crazy places in Africa. There are crazy places in Asia. And there are great places is is one of those places. I can't say I'm happier that my daughter is here in America because it will be terrible if she was in South Sudan because, you know what, also in South Sudan there are people that are still living there and it's just that every environment is different. I'm just very grateful that I do have my daughter and that I am being the best mom I can be. And that's all I can really say about that. That's great. You know, Jay, what I wonder is, you know, uh, Jay has a daughter and and I have nieces and you have a daughter. And, you know, Mary, I really wonder, like, how do you balance between, you know, being a model, being in music, you know, we're all in the music industry, we're all in the you know, nonprofit, and we're all here in the business side. We're at, we all actually run the gamut of that. How do you balance that with your daughter? Because you know, most of us on this phone would agree that you don't want your child in that environment. Uh, you know, because of the way it can be. How do you balance that? Because I know you have a very strict, just like strict schedule. How are you able to balance that yeah, with it's, her? It's really tough. <laughs> Because, like, sometimes I will end up doing a a party in a club and then I have to wake up in the morning to take her to school. And I'm very hands-on mom, you know. I cook. I um, make sure my daughter is in, at school in time. And then I'm also social I'm, and I'm, in, I'm involved in the music and the fashion industry. I don't know how I balance it, to be honest. Sometimes sometimes I look back and I'm like, wow, I really got to give my back, myself a tap on the shoulder because it's, it's really hard to do that in New York City. It's It's really hard to even be a single person in New York City, let alone being someone who is raising a kid and with a family, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to just make sure I humble myself, I center I center myself and I meditate, I read, you know, and and most importantly just try to be as positive and grateful as possible. I, I think those are the things that have got me anywhere in life, you know. Wow. Well Jay, you're up. Yeah, um I wanted to know about what do you think about the future of Sudan? Are you, do you think there's a positive future and that you can make be the change to you know to bring uh, sunshine to your country? <laughs> yes, I would love to see that sunshine and people just speaking great things of South Sudan instead of always coming back to the violence and the pain and the struggle. 
Um, I, I have hopes in my home, and I think I also just have to keep that optimistic side of me because we can never give up on our home, no matter what. Like, we have to keep trying, and I believe that one of the reasons I'm here today and a lot of other Sudanese who have been fortunate enough to be able to make it out of war and get opportunities is for us to use our voice and become act, active, activists for our country. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to use what I do as much as possible with the fashion and the music ind- industry to put awareness on what is happening in, in my country because I believe that this is not just a South Sudanese problem. You know, this is a, a humanity thing. Right. And and we are all, at the end of the day, we are all here connected, and we are living in the same planet, and we need to, to stop looking at um, things separately, you know. Yeah, so um, for me, I... I, I it's not for only me to hope and, and uh, for the future of my country. It's for everybody to, to hope for the future of my country and for everybody else's country who's having the same struggles because we are all one, and that's what we all need to remember. We should be working for the betterment of our planet, our whole entire system, you know? Wow. Maury, could you... Uh... Could you, could you speak a little bit about the children that are being used as sources of income, the, the girls, the 12-year-old girls? Could you tell our audience a little bit about what's happening in that area of um, South Sudan, uh, the and soldiers and the children that are being taken advantage of, the um, girls? Well, oh, okay, young girls. Well, what what is happening a lot in my country is more like I don't even look at it as really people being sold off, but it, it, it's something of a, a way that we need to just sort of change a little bit of that thought mentality. What happens is a lot of girls get married off at, at such a young age. Um, oh. And sometimes girls end up dropping out of school, you know, at, at very, very early ages, 10, 11, 12, to, to start to prepare to be a woman, you know, and wow. that really is a way of taking someone's will away, taking someone's choice away, because these are children at the end of the day. My right. mother was married when she was 13 years old. So um, we need to look at this issue more deeper because I have two different feelings about that. My My country, my culture believes in dowry as a way to show respect for women. You know, when a man is taking a woman, it's like knowing that, you know, she's worth this and you have to remember that she's like a queen. But in a way, it starts, and with what happened with every human being, we start off pure and things get distorted and things become something else, right? So now there's... Uh times where these children are really becoming a source of income because now you can get the dowry and get some money from it, you know. So we need to um, create a system that's going to help that. And I think what is going to help with our country, with every issue that we have, is really to um, elaborate and advocate more on education. Education is the way to have people 
learn more about the choices we make in life. And I think if people are more um, have more access in my country with education, with an adequate education, sustainable education, people and things that are happening right now will be able to change. And we can help a lot of these young girls by giving them a, a sense of self-identity. You know, it's great yeah. if you are a woman who is educated, who is a great mother, who is a great sister, who is a great wife, and having yes. all those, nothing is wrong with that. Yes, you yes, know? absolutely. Yes. You know, Jay, I would like to ask her more, you know, so, is you know, let's get into STAND for Education for a minute, okay? Is this where, you know, STAND for Education, is this where, you know, because I can hear it in your voice, the the importance that this is to you, you know, having your daughter, you know, probably wanting your daughter to know some of her culture and all of that. What is, you know, how did uh, Stand for Children get started? And, and Mari, what is the most important thing to you about education? Okay. So uh, it's Stand for Education. You keep saying Stand for Children. I am so sorry. Um, <laughs> But, okay. you, but you want to know something, Mary, Mari? Mm-hmm. You want to know something, though? I do apologize for saying stand for children, but you are a stand for children. Yes, and that we are is, standing uh, for children. We're standing for women. We're standing for our rights and standing for love and unity. Yes, and that's. I guess that's why it keeps hitting me with that, because when I met yeah. you, that's, that's what I, you know, that's what I came into contact with. Yeah. And so, no, no you know, problem. It's just the beauty of that. And, you know, with your nonprofit, I'd like to know how you started that. And I, I go back to children again. What is your stand for children? Because I hear it so strongly in the way that you've expressed yourself. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate at heart, you know. I believe my soul's mission is to actually make some change in the world if I can, you know. Um, so, well, I worked a lot with um, different NGOs um, advocating for South Sudan, and I've learned some great things. And I wanted to cre- find out what could be the root of the issues that we have. And I finally realized that it's education. You know, it's really not. It's not food. It's not water. It's not any of whatever the world thinks. It's not money. We're rich. We're very rich. You know, we have a ton of oil there. We 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 can grow food. We have soil. So what is the real issue? The real issue is an educational system. So, And that's why I created Stand for Education, because my country is 80% unable to read and write. And most affected is girls. And 64% of my country is women. So there is a huge problem here. And this is why Stand for Education wants to create um, an adequate education and sustainable educational system in South Sudan so that we are finally able to get educated and finally able to go to schools in our own home. You know, we children cannot even go to schools there because the, the school is either missing a teacher or the school does not have any supplies, 
Or there is no schools. They will literally be sitting under a tree, you know. And, I mean, that's that kind of sounds good in a way, sitting under a tree learning. Was, <laughs> I don't think I would, I would mind. mind that. <laughs> I wouldn't mind either. Sounds good, right? I wouldn't mind. It does sound good. I wouldn't mind myself. Yeah, I think that would be great, too, if they have a, a, a safe environment to do that in. So that's why I came to finding Stanford Education, and I partner up with my colleagues, Quoth Will and Maria Gori. We're all South Sudanese women, and we all have a name. Um, we're in modeling, acting, music, so what better way than to use our faces, our hands, because usually people talk about South Sudan, and they're, they speak of the people. It's someone else that is not South Sudanese speaking of that, you know, um, so we have to use our own stories because we have experienced this firsthand, and um, we have a, a voice to be heard, and we are women of South Sudan who can represent those women, those girls, and those children, and that's why we created the nonprofit. So we want to renovate existing schools in South Sudan by providing um, school supplies, materials, teachers, and we also want to start building schools there. We're going to start with a girls' boarding school so that the girls are living in the school safe, you know, learning, um, cultural, indigenous, spiritual, learning in all types of ways possible so that they can better understand themselves and be able to make great choices for themselves and help the new nation in, in a way. Wow. I am so yeah. excited. You know, this is this is really beautiful. I would like to, Mari, if you could just stay on with Jay and I for like one or two more questions, a little bit more. Um, Jay, I know you have some questions, so I'm going to be quiet because I don't want to have to alter myself here. <laughs> Are you no, here, Jay? Know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm here, Mari. I just want to know. So, what is the future for your? Doing this DJ stuff, and um, I want to know some of your what, what, what type of music are you playing? Like what 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 are you doing over there with this music thing? Because this is amazing. <laughs> you didn't did all these different things. I want to talk about oh, some thank of the, the you. beautiful things too. <laughs> um, for, for the oh, excuse me, there's some loudness going on. But for the music, um, I am basically. DJing events. I'm I'm more into doing corporate and private events. The club scene is great, but I'm not really that into it. Um, and also, um, I want to create music that is going to be a representation of me that could also tap into my roots and also tap into the world music that I'm that I'm into. I'm into all types of music. I love electronic music. I love Afrobeats. I love African. I love hip hop. I love, I don't know, you name it, jazz, classics, classical. Um, I'm more like, I could be like an open format DJ. You know, I can mix a classic song with like a whole brand new African song that you never heard before. You know, and make you dance if you haven't danced in ten ten years or whatever. I will always make you dance. <laughs> so wow, my that's my that's dance my dance floor vibe is like that, and um, 
I want to make an album, which I'm working on right now. I can't really reveal the name yet, um, but uh, it's going to be a live with live sounds from my home and um, some of the music that I've learned here, especially electronic music. I want to mix up some African roots with some electronic. So I want to get and deeper that- into into that, yeah. Well, it's so funny you should say that because one of the things I've always wanted to do is take African and Indian and Hawaiian. I know that sounds out there, uh, American and Latin. That and sounds those like a great salad. <laughs> I know. I am just, like, really wanting to do that. Um, I know that, you know, Jay and I have a song that we're going to be putting out, and, you know, I, I mentioned it to you a little bit, and we would love to talk with you you know, about having that happen even further. You know, it was just, it's just such a pleasure. I love you know, that having... song. That was a great, beautiful song. The lyrics are amazing. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, uh, Jay and I have worked on it very, very hard. And, um, you know, we will definitely be in touch with you to do that. It, uh, you know, Mary, one of the, you know, we have two last questions. One of the things I want to ask you is, with all that you're doing, you know, and I, if it's okay, we just want to give a shout-out to her husband, Mr. Malik, who's, like, an amazing producer. You know, you've got, you've got a husband. Oh, thank got, you. Yes, he's so great. He has a band called Crow, K-R-E-A-U-X, yeah, Crow.com. But, uh, it's great alternative rock, awesome music. And he's he's my mentor. He um, He's teaching me to produce my own music and pushing me because... You know, nowadays as a DJ, you should be able to make your own music. Yes, and and many D- DJs are doing it, like Calvin Harris and David Guetta and all those people. You know, but right. You know, and la- David Guetta actually just did something with UNICEF, by the way. Um, it's the Imagine song by John Lennon, which I, I was also a part of, and many other stars and actors and activists and. Firefighters, all types of people. So it's like an app, and you can look it up on YouTube anyway. John Lennon's Imagine Song, and everyone is basically a, the biggest world sing along song. So everyone in the world can sing from a different part of the world and become a part of this beautiful song. And the more, it's like basically healing the world with music, you know, and. You can uh, you can uh, um, look it up, Gail, and you can sing and become a part of the song. <laughs> well, that's re- that's really cool. Well, you know, here's it's my last cool. question. It is, and I know Jay has one last question. He might have even two, but here, here's my last question for you. I would love to know, okay, beyond a reasonable doubt, if you know, if you had the one wish in the world right now, what would that wish be? Oh, wow. Oh wow. oh wow! That's I don't know. One wish. Yeah. If you, had, if you could have anything you wanted, in addition to what you already have, you what would it be? You can't wish for another wish. You can't I wish think I, I would wish. I, my <laughs> one wish would be to get rid of money. <laughs> and wow. and the world become a community. We can all trade our services. You know, and and live equally and prosper prosperly as we're supposed to live. Wouldn't that be great? Wow, that would be amazing. And I just want to mention to everyone that uh, Mary Malik is 
very close friends with Kuth Weil, who was in the movie with Reese Witherspoon, Gare Duwani, uh, Arnold Osteng, uh, for and, and Emmanuel Jal. Emmanuel would kill us if we forgot him. Emmanuel Jal yeah. for The Good Lie with Margaret Nagel, who wrote it. And the movie, Jay, is up for a nomination with the NAACP and maybe up for other awards. So congratulations Such to the staff. Such an amazing movie. And, you yeah. know, everybody who hasn't seen it, you should see it. It's called The Good Lie, and it will help you understand the story of what South Sudan went through, as well as the story of the people who get connected with the South Sudanese here in America and who had help and sponsor us. So it's yeah. very heartwarming. Yeah. It it most definitely is. Well, Jay, do you have any last questions for Mary? Mari, excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have just one <laughs> last question. And it, it, this has something to do with your modeling career. Now, you you you're coming from South Sudan. You, you're getting bullied in Egypt. Your self-esteem is low. Then you become this beautiful butterfly. I mean, how did that happen? I mean, it's, you know, it's like here here you are. You know, you've probably been told, oh, you're ugly and you're darker than everybody and blah blah blah. Then you come over here and you become this beautiful, but like coming from this cocoon. What was that like? Changing from a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. Could you give us a little bit? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're making me blush. <laughs> um, I, that was, you know, it was a tough experience because it's a lot of everything coming into a, a, a whole new world, coming from a background of war and violence, um, having to separate from your family, being in this place where people are teasing you and it's, it was honestly I was very very like insecure because I couldn't even speak I was shy for a long time it really like made some sort of um made me go in a shell but at some point I had to challenge myself to to just stand up for myself and and to also challenge that little scared person inside of me to get rid of fear because that's all I've known all my life is fear, fear of losing things and family and fear of, you know, having to get away from violence and running away from people who might kill us, you know. That's all I felt all the time. So it was a very tough experience, and I had to fight the fear every single time and, and, and remind myself like I I I can rise above this. I and I read self some self help books. They helped me a lot. Um The Alchemist was a great read for me. I read The Secret. That helped me in a way, um, open up that tap into that energy of being able to create your own reality, you know? So that made mm-hmm. me curious about oh, you know, maybe it is possible. I can change the way things turn out in my life. I, I can change by acting differently now. And I read some books that just helped me open up into that path, you know, like the science of getting rich, thinking big, all those type of books helped me understand that I can tap into a power that is within me that can actually make a change and not just make a change for material things or anything like that, but make a change 
to just be the best person I can be and not rely on all the stuff I've been through in the past. Just let go of those things and look at now and and work on the now and just keep and and you know visualize what it is that you want now and and work on that versus looking back at what happened and what you know it was all my mom's fault and it was all this and I'm a victim we all have to stop stop thinking we are victims we start wow. to really we need to start saying that I am responsible for everything that has happened in my life and for everything that is to happen in my life. When we start to do that and say that, we become, we empower ourselves, you know, to become stronger and change things. This is so okay. true. You know, uh, some of the work that I have the opportunity to do, um, you may be familiar with Landmark or something, some of the work that's similar in those areas. And it mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. it really is about anyone in anyone's life, and that's and that's where I think I have the admiration um, and inspiration, you know. And I would say mainly inspiration because being inspired inspires you into action. And when mm-hmm. you and when you move forward and you're moving forward with an intention, it really gets to go the way you want it to go. And if it doesn't, then you go to another direction because you know. We all believe in God or some higher power in some way. That is the way God is going to take us, you know. Right, exactly. So instead of beating yourself over, you know, the head, any of us, with a dead, you know, with a, what is that old saying, uh, Jay? Beating beating yourself over your head with a stick. (laughs) Kind of like you have to go along, sometimes you have to go with the rhythm. You know, you know what you want to do, yes. but you got to go with the rhythm. Because when you go against the rhythm, it just really doesn't work. I know. You definitely got to go with the rhythm, you know. And, and also, so, while you're going with the rhythm and you end up making a mistake, realize what the lesson is. Yeah. You know? Yes, 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 yes. Well, you know, I have to tell you, this was an amazing, amazing call with you, Mary, and we hope that you'll come back and talk with us sometime in the new year and let and update us on what's going on. I will, and um, thank you all for having me and um, oh. listening to my story. I appreciate that. It's a beautiful that. story. It's a beautiful <laughs> story. And, you know, we, we do look forward, as we had shared with you early on, to partnering up. And supporting you in you supporting us, we're definitely going to do that in a partnership with you. And, uh, you know, I think what I think is so beautiful, Jay, about having Mari on today and her story is today is World Human Rights Day. You know what I mean? And oh, you don't wow. just look Yeah, today is World Human Rights Day. And I think what's so beautiful about all of us being on the call right now, it's not about where you're from. It's about everyone has a natural human right to be human and live with decency and self-respect. Exactly. And, you know, um, you know, before you go, Mari, we think that that's an easy thing, Jay and Mari, but it's not. Not with what we're seeing going on, not just in this country, around the world. Around the world. It's time for a wake-up call for us to treat each other, just like Mari said, with love and respect. And... Um, on that note, Mari, thank you again. It was just such a blessing to have you on today. Thank you so much for having yes, me. I appreciate this, and um, 
we'll we'll do this soon. <laughs> yes, we would love to have one. you come back in the new year. Oh my goodness, because you know you can't cover everything on one call. I know, right? <laughs> yes. So thank you so much, Maureen. Please send our regards to your husband if you wouldn't mind. Okay, I will. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. You too. Wonderful. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, Maureen. Jay, wasn't she just simply amazing? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's um, she's came from the ashes and, and risen above. And um, it's an amazing story. It's very amazing. I mean, you could just do a movie just about her, you know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I was sitting there listening to her, and I felt like at some point I was right there. Because she, she didn't just right. tell tell a story. She took you through the characters, you know, the characters of her story. And right. you know, and and I, you know, did you did you almost feel like you were right there with her, with her mother? Yeah. Yes, I did. I did too. It was just amazing. Well, you know, we're waiting for Kwaku Mandela, and I can. He has. We know. I, we hope that he's okay because he actually tweeted out that he would be on the show today. So we know that there was an intention for him to be on the show. So, you know, Jay, there are several things that, you know, we can have a conversation and see whether, you know, Kwaku uh, is going to come on. Um, one of the things I wanted to share with you today, Jay, is that I had the beautiful opportunity of being at an event on Monday, which is uh, another organization that we've had on the show, which is Impact Leadership 21. Jay, if you remember Janet Salazar and Constance Peak. They've been in, in mm-hmm. existence for two years and has gone have gone past what even the United Nations in some cases has done in six years. They had something called Conversations with Men, and it was men on Wall Street and how the men on Wall Street could get behind, not, not like physically behind women, but support women, you know what I mean, both in equity and equality. And I just thought it was amazing. And to hear the men speak the way they did, it was just absolutely wonderful, you know. And that was that's some of my news from December eighth, as, as well as uh, Jay. We uh, listen, given Savoy, we should share our audience had the opportunity to be with Mashable on Friday. So we've had, you know, we've had a, a pretty hectic schedule over here in the U.S. And I have to take up your slack, Mister. Uh, you know, this is just not fair that you're in Japan. Okay, just totally unfair. And and what are some of the news that you have to share with us, Jay, from Japan? Hello? Uh-huh. Yeah, Jay, did we lose you? There for a minute. Technical difficulties there. No, what is what is yeah, some of the news that you what is some of the news that you have for us today from Japan and some of the, the listen and give sound bites and Savoy bites that you have for us today? Oh, some of the news I have is, um, uh, you know, um, you know, looking at the state of uh, Berkeley, California, um, just commenting on having peaceful protests, you know, um, doing things a little different than they did in the 60s, you know, free speech movements, and um, not being, not, not putting, you know, not answering violence with violence, and I just hope that uh, everything in my hometown, which I, I'm, you know, I, I live in the Bay Area, Berkeley, California, and Oakley, California, and they're having a lot of dis- uh, a lot of disturbances and SWAT teams out. And I just 
hope and pray that everything goes well and things don't get out of hand there because uh, a lot of people are having problems getting home from work. Kids are having problems going to school. People are having problems going to their jobs. And it's really disruptive, you know. And uh, the best thing that we can do there is get out and register to vote. That's the, that's the thing that needs to be done. <laughs> it's, so, it's so simple. I mean, you can, you know, just to, you know, so that's one thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, that's what needs, that's where the education needs to come in. You know, you, yeah. you're not going to change yeah. anything by uh, destroying up America. You're not going to change anything. You know, you're going to make everything worse. Exactly. You know, so, yes. one of the things mm-hmm. so, that we we had here, I put on my, as you know, I put on my Facebook wall earlier this week, was that here in New York, I made the statement, and some people got a little bit upset with me on, you know, about it. But when you, if you're going to protest, I think that's fine. Freedom of speech is only fair. But do it in front of the government buildings. When you stop traffic, you stop, uh, you know, you stop um, the people from moving forward to get home or get in. What you create is women who are trying to get home to their children and they're late, being charged extra. You stop fathers from getting home to their family. You know, um, there's so much. People who need to get to their job who work in the evenings and they're they're actually um, putting letting someone off because they're taking their place at night. You know, there's so many things that are going on that we don't know that people have to get to. So when we don't honor them and when we don't honor and respect them, it doesn't work, you know. So, you know, that's uh, that's our Listen Give sound bites for the day. Um, we'll probably have to reschedule and have Kwaku Mandela on next week. We look forward to having you on, Kwaku, and audience, thank you. Jay, thank you for being with us from Japan every week as usual. And we hope you have a great, great day out there. Arigato. Arigato. <laughs> All right. So we're going to leave out. Oh, Jay, we actually have... Uh, our friend on. We actually have Kwaku Mandela on. Let's bring him on. Are you ready, Jay? Hello? Okay. Kwaku, we were wondering, what did we lose you? How are you? You're on with our audience. I'm good. How are you doing? We are fine, Kwaku. You, this is Jay Logan. I'm sorry Jay Logan. about that. There was a little bit of mix-up about whether I should dial in one at oh, 105 no or 155. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry if that went out to you that way. Um, this is uh, Jay Logan, our co-host. Jay, this is Kwaku Mandela. Uh, Kwaku Mandela, this How is are Jay you? Logan. How are you? I'm good, Jay. How are you doing? I'm fine, fine. Great to have you. It's really great. You know, Glad to be here. Mark- Yes, we had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mari Malek. Uh, she's one of the top Sudanese models as well as a DJ, and uh, she, you know, she came from the Sudanese uh, refugee situation, and we had an amazing conversation with her, Kwaku, and now we're on to have one with you. You know, Kwaku, what we would really love to ask you, because our show generally ends, it, can we talk with you a little bit this week and talk with you a little bit next week? Would that be possible? Uh, I'm sure we can make that happen. Okay. Well, Kwaku, we would like to really get right into some questions with you. Jay and I have a few, and we just ask that you don't give out the good stuff too quickly so that our audience doesn't get to have all the other good stuff later on in the call. Is that okay with you? I'll do my best. 
Okay. Kwaku, I really want to get right into one thing. You released something mm-hmm. amazing, which is called The Power of Words. Okay? Thank you. It was yes, I I had I kept playing it over and over again. It's the power of words does something to you when you're not just talking, you know? And sure. I wanted to know where this idea came from for the power of words. It actually was a culmination of things. Um I was approached by the Tribeca film in two thousand and nine to see if there was a way we could uh, create a film project that would honor my grandfather and his legacy. Um, and it took us about a year going back and forth. I knew I didn't want to have, you know, a series of films made about his life because I felt like that ground had been traversed before. And so um, essentially together with Tamir Muhammad and, and Jonathan Rogers, uh, we came up with this idea around uh, essentially bringing together five groups of people. So, five established directors with five of Tribeca's film fellows, which are young kids in high school who are aspiring filmmakers. And they were each given one quote from my grandfather and given the task of interpreting that into a modern-day short film that represented those words ultimately and translated those to a new kind of younger generation that may know the name Nelson Mandela but not necessarily know what it represents and what the essence of it was. Wow. Wow. So... When do we get access to see the whole film? Will it be in theaters? Will it be on iTunes? How does one, how does our audience find out about it? Well, it's actually, <clears throat> we launched it last week in New York. We did a sneak peek of each of the films. There's five short films um, that are basically playing, and there's going to be one sixth film that we're going to release uh, next year at the Tribeca Film Festival, which is kind of a secret project. Uh, but the five films are available right now, and they're on Vimeo's domain. They're also on the Mont Blanc um, website, and they'll be on the Nelson Mandela Foundation website uh, from tomorrow as well. Okay. I just Jay, before you ask your question, I just want to put a little something in there. Kwaku, I was, I was, I was said, well, why would Mont Blanc sponsor? The Power of Words, and I read a little interesting thing. Your grandfather, Nelson Mandela, carried around a Mont Blanc pen. He did for a number of years. Ultimately, he was given the pen as a gift, and he kept that along with a Parker pen um, in his shirts in his left pocket. Um, and so he's had a longstanding relationship with uh, Mont Blanc. I think when they heard about this project, uh, and then when they were approached to, you know, end up powering it, um, it was kind of a natural fit. One because they're very into exploring the power of words, uh, but two, I think they're as a company very into supporting, you know, legacies. Ultimately, um, they've just done a unique uh, kind of limited edition range around uh, JFK, uh, and they've done it on, you know, other past luminaries as well. And so, you know, I thought it was a great fit. Uh, they supported this project in immense ways and, and really allowed the filmmakers to tell their stories uninterrupted, and that's something you know, I think all of us appreciate. Well, I'm going to say this last thing. I don't want to take over from Jay, but this the one thing, the reason why I love the Mont Blanc thing, because the power of the pen. Jay and I love to write ourselves. So the power of the pen, sure. and in order to create the storyline and the characterization of each character, you have to start out writing. And so the power of a, an important pen that's how it stands out to me. 
So uh, thank you for that. And, Jay, I know that you had a few questions for Quaker. Oh, yes. Um, I would like to I want to ask you um, about, could you explain a little bit about Africa Rising and um, the direction? Sure. Um, Africa Rising is an organization that I started with my cousin in Dabo Mandela um, at the end of 2009. And it really came from the fact that, you know, we traveled – quite extensively around the world together. Um, and whether we were in Europe, whether we were in Asia, Australia, or America, we were always kind of taken aback by, you know, the questions that young people would ask us about Africa, you know, common misconceptions, you know, are there escalators in Africa ultimately, you know, do elephants live in your backyard? And so <laughs> we got back to South Africa, uh, no, it's, I mean, it's actually interesting. I don't know if uh, any of you remember, when Tiger Woods first came to um, South Africa, he basically did a CNN interview, and he was staying at Sun City, which is one of our kind of big theme resorts, ultimately, and they actually do have, you know, elephants and, and lions built into this resort. And so, you know, basically the correspondent asked him, you know, Tiger, how's it like to be in Africa for the first time? And, you know, he, he jokingly said, it's not every day that you get to wake up and have lions in your backyard, you know. But a lot of people wow. seeing that kind of mis- can misinterpret that, you know. And I don't think, again, you know, Tiger's been to Africa several times. And he's been a big supporter of Africa. But my point, and I think what we wanted to do, if you're going to change how people perceive the, co- the continent, it starts with it being a state of mind. It's a statement, right? And that statement has to come predominantly from Africans and young Africans. So we felt the best way to do that was ultimately to showcase youth development on the continent, Right, and really champion the entire notion that, you know, Africa is not only rising and developing and there's unique stories happening on this continent every day, um, but also look, you know, at some of the more tougher things that do go on. You know, there is huge poverty here. There is problems with governance on the continent. Uh, but that's just one side of the story. The other side is that there's immense growth. The other side is that there's huge amounts of human capital. I mean, 75% of the African population at the moment is under the age of 18, you know? And so in a couple of years, all these people will be coming into the workforce. And that's opportunity at the end of the day. That's a huge amount of human resources. And so for me and for my cousin, and I think for a lot of young Africans, it's important that we start owning the narrative of our own continent. Um, Because for too long, it's been seen as this dark place. For too long, it's been seen as this place that, you know, has poverty throughout it. Or for instance, more recently, you know, where Ebola exists. Uh, and if you're not informed about these things, a lot of people think, you know, Ebola is something that is around the whole entire African continent when it's actually confined to a very small region or parts of the African continent, which is West Africa. Wow. You know, um, I know we've touched on some things here, um, quite cool about Africa rising out of Africa a little bit and what you're doing to power words. I am a South, Jay will tell you, I always talk about South Africa. I know Dr. Kanji Sabati, we met her in, in England. We, you and I spoke briefly sure. when we met at Mashable about Lyra. And mm-hmm. there is, I think that, you know, I know most slaves and back in the day, I think they came from West Africa, okay? But sure. I think that there is, there is, there's, there's a connection. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be South African to feel like you've got a connection. I think in another lifetime I was a South African. 
<laughs> you know, because I no, have I a love. I mean, I just have a love. No, carry on, carry on. I know I have. I such think a, a lot of people it. say that. I met a young girl in Canada, um, you know, and a white girl at the end of the day who her parents had grown up on the African continent. And she'd only been to Kenya, but she says, you know, since a young age, she's always had this connection to the continent, ultimately. And that led her to study international relations. That now has led her to ultimately seek work that allows her to come back to the continent. And actually, you know, one of the films that was made that was made by Nabil Ellican kind of deals with that subject matter. Uh, and looking at people, you know, from the West Indies region, Jamaica in particular, you know, who are trying to search and find that essence of, of what, you know, Africa means to them. Um, so I can totally understand, you know, that feeling and that desire that you have. And, you know, I'm very appreciative of it. I think, um, you know, Africa was the birthplace of humanity, essentially. Um, and I think what's unique about Africa right now is it's becoming kind of the last bastion of humanity. When you look around the world, and there's huge areas um, that are overly saturated, ultimately, whether that's in population or just in industry, um, Africa does not necessarily have that problem. You know? And so there's great potential for growth, um, but I think also great potential for moral leadership uh, in how we go forward as a world. This is so true. And, and what I was getting at, uh, Jay, as well, because I tell this to Jay all the time, is that South Africa, there's a gentleman by the name of Timothy Maurice Webster, who I've met a couple of times and we're friends on Facebook. You know, Timothy talks about, he wrote a book out in South Africa. He's from America. And he, he moved there called Personovation. And one mm-hmm. of the things that he said was that, he said, Gail, China is the manufacturing hub of the world, you know, um, the United States is a capitalist, you know, place in the world where people make money, but South Africa is the heartbeat of the world. And when you stop the heart from beating, you have nothing. And I am so in alignment with that. You know, um, when I, when I, when I, when Lyra would sing, when I first met her, and she would sing, and then all the women from South Africa would get on the floor. It didn't matter whether you were Pakistani, American, American black, Hispanic, or white. It didn't matter any of those things, Jay. You just wanted to get on the floor with them. It's unlike any beat, any any beat I've ever heard anywhere in Africa. It makes you just want to just move. And because of that, because of that, I had the opportunity to meet your grandfather on one occasion. And um, I remember Grokka said to me, he doesn't talk to people. And your your grandfather told me, he said, you will do great things. And I said, I'm sure you tell that to everybody. He says, no, you will do great things. And he kept going. That was always that. And I just remember that one moment because the one thing I always remember your grandfather saying is that a man, I'm just a man, you know. And what I loved about meeting uh, Kwaku Jay was that Kwaku is his own man. He's creating something of his own with his own talent. And I want to ask you something. How was, I, I, I'm sorry to say, say so much so long, but Kwaku, I want to know how was it growing up in South Africa against the backdrop of Nelson Mandela being his grandson, knowing that you were your own man, and you may do some work with his foundation, whatever, but you are your own man. Was that difficult for you? Were there expectations of you? I think when I was younger, it was definitely, you know, a lot more difficult than it is now, <clears throat> because I think you're still, you know, kind of in your formative years, and um, a lot of people 
would engage with you and would approach you, and you wouldn't know how to quite deal with that, how to take that. Um, but I think, you know, the one thing my grandfather, you know, ultimately instilled, I did this project with him where I brought together me and you know, 21 of my cousins and nieces and nephews to ask him questions they'd always wanted to ask him in their life. And one of the questions was, you know, what do you want to see happen with your legacy? What do you want us to do with your legacy? And, he, you know, he turned back to us and said, that's not for me to decide. That's for you to decide. It's your legacy now. Um, and I think, you know, little moments like that, my granddad used to tell us the fact that he wasn't the only Mandela, that there had been great Mandelas before him. You know, his great-great-grandmother ultimately was one of the first women warriors to repel Queen Victoria's army, you know. And so giving us context of who we are as people, you know, the proud heritage we have and tradition we have in our family, I think, has helped ground us and really make us understand the importance of, you know, being able to identify what it is you love um, and follow that. You know, I I don't want to be a politician. I have no interest in that. But I do know I have a voice, as everyone on this planet does. And with that voice, I can use it to shine a light on things that are of, of interest to me, things that are important to myself and my community. And that's what I tried to do through film, ultimately. Well, you know, I uh, I know Jay has some questions. Jay, you're up because I, I, I <laughs> I'm very excited to have Quaker on. So. Have Quaker on so. uh, oh, wonderful, uh, Quaker! I have actually one and two questions at the same time. One, I want to know: Is there a meaning to your name? Does it? What does it mean? And the second, I would like you to elaborate on the South African film and entertainment industry. Sure. The meaning for my name is very simple. It means born on Wednesday, uh, and it's from Ghana. <laughs> and wow. If I'm going to elaborate on, on the fashion film industry, I mean, I guess where to start, it's, it's in a unique um, position right now. I think a lot of the world has woken up to the great potential that's on offer here, the great skill and talent that our crews have, um, and that I think generally the warmth that South African people have towards uh, the film and television industry. Uh, right now, we've seen a number of um, you know really big films and TV shows come and shoot here. We've also seen very important ones. So, for instance, you know uh, Marvel's latest Avengers. Uh, if you watch the trailer, it opens up on the city of Johannesburg, and that features quite prominently uh, within the film, which I think a lot of people are excited about because that means potentially the Black Panther is going to be made into a movie mm-hmm. very soon. But, you know, beyond that, Homeland shooting its uh, its new season here in South Africa and Cape Town, which everyone's really excited about. And me and my company have, you know, had the great opportunity to work with BET to make, uh, you know, uh, acclaimed book ultimately, which deals with the context of slavery um, and one woman's young journey through it um, into a miniseries that's going to be released uh, next year. And so, you know, apart from kind of the big budget Hollywood films that are being made um, on the South African you know, landscape and in the South African industry, there's also, you know, very, very important stories that are coming out of the continent as well. Wow. You know, I I have this question, Jay. I want to know, you know, I love a lot of other African countries, but I have to ask this. Out of all the countries I've heard, okay, the one that really, really, no matter what, there's a beat that South Africa has. And I know this sounds like a silly question. Why does Africa have that that beat that just 
It runs through your veins, literally through the course of your veins. I went to see Serafina with my mother when she was alive. And it was many years ago on Broadway. I was a kid. And Hugh Masekela was there, and all the kids that had gone through apartheid were there with the bruises. And even the people who were Caucasian, who were black, didn't matter. You could see it. And I never forget the tears in my mother's eyes. Actually, I miss her. And um, it, 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 there's just a, there's a, a, a this, I can't even explain it. There's a soul in your music. Can you explain what that is? There's a soul in your film. What 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 is that about South Africa in it? The soul of the country, its people, the Kosa, the Zulu, the Swazi. I mean, what is it? I mean, I think it's it's a combination of things. The diversity, for sure, uh, plays a big role, but it's also the context of our history. You know, uh, during apartheid, uh, when a lot of people would gather and rally, or when people were at home, uh, you know, cooking for not just themselves and their immediate family, but for people in the community. They would sing songs because that was their way, ultimately, of becoming unified. That was their way of having one unified voice. And so, you know, if you look back at apartheid, one of the kind of key themes that comes out of there and the key things that comes out of there is the music, right, the music that was part of the anti-apartheid struggle. And so a lot of that came from a very honest place, came from a very pure place, and I think that's continued. Um, to go through, you know, throughout our artists. Um, I'd say with the film, you know, I think we're still finding our voices as South Africans, and I think Africans as a whole. Um, but we're seeing glimpses and really bright glimpses of some very talented um, young African filmmakers, ultimately, who are starting to not only showcase uh, great African stories, but I think universal stories in general, um, which is, you know, so important. Um, the things that bring us together and bind us as as people is our common humanity, right? Our commonality. Uh, and I think that's something that when you look at kind of the great American films or you look at the great European films, that's been something they've been able to tap into. And so, you know, I'm excited because I think as, as Africans, we're starting to do that. Um, and it bodes well for the future, of course. Wow. Um, Jay, do you have any questions? Yeah, I wanted to know. Um, yeah, I wanted to know, like, what are some of the things that you would like to accomplish outside of what your grandfather has done for the world? Again, I mean, I think my granddad, you know, said that we haven't achieved true freedom. Ultimately, we've just achieved the right to be free, and that's the first step. Um, and ultimately, us being able. To, to look out for a larger thing. As long as there's still people that are enslaved and, uh, you know, trafficking, ultimately, as long as there's people that are trapped in the chains of poverty um, or not being able to get an education or clean access to water, there's still work to be done. And so I think in my small part, I want to galvanize my generation uh, to fight for these things. Uh, we see things such as HIV and AIDS. We see things such as malaria, um, or, you know, things that should be basic human rights, right? Access to an education, access to health care that aren't available to a lot of people in this world. And I think it's up to us, those that are in a position to do something, to really change it, um, to at least give, you know, our time and our effort and our voices uh, to trying to find solutions and trying to find ways to bring this to an end. Wow. Wow. You know, what, 
what I'd love to know is, Kwaku, what runs through your veins? And when I say what runs through your veins, what gets you up in the morning? What is it in your soul, your heart that you want to do? I know you just shared some of those things, but I mean, like, what is that one thing that it just, it's, it beats in your heart every day? You get up, you eat it, you sleep it. What is it that really that you want to do? I think it's the commonality we share as you know humans at the end of the day. It's um it's something I see, you know, whether I'm you know, walking in the streets of Johannesburg or I'm taking a train, you know, on the underground in London, or I wake up in the middle of Brooklyn and it's snowing and I have to walk miles to get a bus, right? Um, it's those little moments in life that I think, you know, allow you to really figure out who you are and be defined. Um and I think what kind of, you know, inspires me each and every day is to see and to notice that, you know, that humanity exists in all of us. It's still there, uh, no matter, you know, how much access uh, to information we may be hit with, no matter how much, uh, you know, we may be told by the media that we're divided. Um, the reality is we're a lot closer than we think we are. And I think generally what we're seeing, you know, and I think we started to see not just in America uh, with recent events, but I think generally around the world is people are starting to realize that and they're wanting to come together. They're trying to figure out ways to do that. Uh, and so that's yeah. what excites me. I, you know, Jay, let me just get this question in because I have to ask him this. What do, you, what do other people outside of South, South Africa not understand about South Africa? And I remember Lyra saying this once, what is it that South Africaners do not understand about themselves. I think, you know, probably one of the biggest things that a lot of people outside South Africa don't realize is actually how far South Africa has come and what America South Africa is in the first place. You know, um, when apartheid was coming to an end, thousands and thousands of people were died. We were on the brink of civil war. There was extreme violence happening. Um, the fact that we were able to come through that and now 20 years on, you know, as much as we may have our problems that I think most countries in the world have, there's a huge amount of optimism. There's a huge amount of opportunity. And the reality is, right, people do have equality here. People now do have the access to leave this country freely. Ultimately, they have the access to actually have a proper and decent education, ultimately, and to seek a proper and decent life for not just themselves, but their family, you know, and future generations of their families. I think what South Africans sometimes, you know, don't realize is how lucky we have it ultimately and just how short of a time we've had to kind of transition. 20 years is not a lot. In a sense, you know, we're still young adults if you look at us in the context of the world. But we've come a long way. We've been able to achieve great things. And like you said, you know, and, and I think, you know, something that Tim had mentioned, you know, South Africa, and I think Africa as a whole is really the heart of the world. Um, you know, even though we've been through huge amounts of, colonization, we've had slavery ultimately. Even though, you know, our economies have been destitute, you know, in places we've had bad governance, um, and we've had abject disease and huge problems, we've been able to come through that each and every time and that always inspires me. You know, there's a thing called Ubuntu in South Africa and in Africa in general, which means, you know, you are who you are because of the people you come from, the people around you, um, the true sense of community. And I think that's you know, Africa as a whole has been able to harness, even though there have been, you know, bad things and there have been negatives. Wow. Well, Jay, I know you had some uh, questions before we, so we don't keep him too long. 
Yeah, I wanted to uh, to share a little bit with our audience about uh, the movie The Bang Bang Club and the concept. <laughs> sure. Um, the Bang Bang Club was uh, actually one of the kind of first major films that I was uh, able to produce, and it was interesting because I'd grown up in you know New England uh, for most of my childhood, and so I didn't really know what it took in place in South Africa uh, towards the end of apartheid. And the Bang Bang Club, you know, when I read the book, I was amazed to read it um, and actually realize what was going on in the country during that time. But it focuses on four photojournalists who uh, essentially were going into the townships during the end of apartheid and taking photos that the apartheid government didn't want people to see and transmitting those to the world. Um, and it really poses the whole question, I think, uh, not just for photojournalists, but any person of uh, a great profession is, you know, that moral dilemma that you deal with. Uh, on the one sense, you're taking these photos and, you know, you're showing the world a crisis, but at the same time, uh, your photos, you don't know how your photos are going to be used, how they can perpetuate something. Um, and I think it was really interesting with Kevin Carter, you know, who took this amazing photo of a young girl in Somalia who was bent down, kneeling down, you know, clearly starving, and there was a vulture behind there. And he won, you know, the Pulitzer Prize for this, and he got all these accolades. But when he got home back to South Africa, he was asked this question, you know, uh, what happened to the girl? Did you take her to the nearest refugee station? And he said, you know, no, I didn't. It's not my job as a photojournalist uh, to interfere. Uh, my subject matter. But this question actually ha haunted him and plagued him. Um, and he eventually, you know, tragically took his life. And it goes back to that, you know, moral dilemma that, I think we all as people, you know, tend to deal with in our lives. Um, and so for me, it was an important story about, you know, these really unique individuals uh, from South Africa who had a huge impact on our history ultimately. Um, and I wanted to, you know, be able to tell their story because I feel it's something important, something, you know, the world needed to see. Besides your dad, um, who inspires you? I mean, since you were a little boy, could he could it could be local, it could be regional, it could be international. Who inspired you? So when you saw it, so when you watched family member, who who was it that inspired you in addition to your grandfather? I think there's many people that I um, you know, look to for inspiration. I would definitely say Walter Sisulu and Oliver Tambo are um some of those people I would say, you know, Adelaide uh, Tambo, who was Walter Sisulu, sorry, Adelaide, um uh, Susulu was one of those people ultimately um, that hugely inspired me. Uh, you know, Winnie, uh, my grandmother, is someone that hugely inspired me. As is, you know, Evelyn, my grandmother as well. And um, you know, I think from an American front, you know, obviously I have to say Martin Luther King was a huge inspiration. There, when you talk about someone and the power of his words uh, to have a real effect on all types of people, uh, he was able to do that. You know, to transcend really. Malcolm X is another person, and I would say, you know, uh, Robert F. Kennedy has always been kind of a unique and, and probably one of my biggest inspirations. You know, his uh, Ripple for Hope speeches, his trip to South Africa during apartheid, the heart of apartheid, and him being able to reach out to you know black Africans um, here in South Africa for me is something that's always stood out and, and been a huge, uh, I guess, motivation for me uh, to go and do the same. Wow. Wow. So, um, we, I mean, we just thank you for being on the show. Jay, do you have one last question for him? 
Yes, I was reading an article and uh, about your grandfather taught forgiveness. Just could you uh, just elaborate a little, a little bit about what do you mean um, by him teaching you forgiveness? I think he realized, um, you know, throughout his life and, and once he was realized that he had a choice. Um, his one choice was that he could hold on to uh, the anger. He could hold on to the pain uh, and the devastation that uh, apartheid and the people that ultimately were behind apartheid had done to him and many South Africans and ultimately seek revenge. Um, but he felt that he would still be their prisoner if he did so, right, if he didn't let go hmm. of that hate, of that, that anger. And so he chose another path, which I think, you know, was love. And how do you embrace everyone in this country? How do you build a collective confidence in this country and find a way to move forward? That's not to say that we forget the past, because I don't think that, you know, something as horrible and heinous as apartheid can ever be forgotten. Um, but it is to say that, we as people ultimately can move beyond that. We as people can change, uh, and we as people can find our commonality, our humanity. Um, and I actually had the joy and the pleasure of working on a film with uh, an amazing director called Baika Singh uh, called Beyond Right and Wrong, which deals with that. You know, she had an experience where she traveled to Rwanda, and she saw a woman who had her five children killed um, having a coke with the man who killed them. And she couldn't understand how that was possible. And so she started to investigate that story, and that forms the nucleus of this film. But then she realized this doesn't just happen in Africa. This type of conflict happens all around the world. And so she went to Israel and Palestine and found a similar story where two families had both lost their daughters on either side, and she brought them together to see if they could learn to forgive each other. And she went to Northern Ireland and found a young girl who'd lost her father in a bombing, in the late 70s, and she found the guy who'd planted mm -hmm. the bomb. And again, in the same situation, she brought them together to see if they could learn to forgive each other. And in that case, wow. they actually became friends. Once they'd realized what both sides had experienced and why both sides had done what they did, I think um, a person learns ultimately to let go of that hate, to let go of that anger, to let go of that pain, and find something bigger, better, I think more bolder and more you know, humane of us. Inside. Wow. Well, the, the, we're going to go after this question. Koiko, um, I wanted to ask you this. Who have you had to forgive in your lifetime, and what do you love about your life right now? I mean, I've had to forgive uh, plenty of people. I think, you know, we always think of forgiveness as this big thing, you know, having to forgive an entire workplace or an entire group of people. You know, I've had to forgive my parents. I've had to forgive my little cousins, my sister, um, my friends. Uh, and they've had to forgive me on numerous occasions. We all make these little incremental uh, mistakes. We all have these little incremental conflicts in our life. And I would say th those are just as important as, you know, the bigger ones. Um, what I love about my life ultimately right now is the great opportunity I have to tell uh, unique stories with some extremely talented and unique people um, who care and have the same passions that I do um, and want to have fun, you know, doing these things as well. Well, Koiku, Jay Logan, and myself, Gail Davis-Carter, we truly thank you for being on the show. It was yes. uh, monumental to have you and Mary Malik on today. We're very grateful for both of you, and we're grateful that young people have the opportunity to listen to this show. 
and that you both have made a profound difference for them today on World Humanitarian Day. So thank you for taking your time out when you could have been doing a lot more other things to be with us all the way from South Africa. Thank you, Gail, and thank you, Jay, for having me. Okay. And would you come back to the, with us sometime next year and, you know, let us know what you're up to? I definitely will. Okay. Thank you, and have Pleasure. a great day, sir. You too. Thank you All so right. much. Bye. It's an honor. Well, Jay, you know me. This did it for me. <laughs> I could just hang the show up right now. <laughs> you know, South Africa, Lyra, him, you know, having Mari on there today, Margaret Nagel, oh, my God, Emmanuel Jal, oh, my goodness, um, Janet Salazar, um, Constance Shapik, Gabby Wilson, um, oh, my God, I could just keep going, uh, Mark Vanderheijen, um Oh, my goodness. We have had some of the most amazing, amazing people, Jay. Making a difference. Making a difference. Well, sorry. We've had uh, the gentleman from Haiti, Mr. Manjani. Oh, my goodness. Like, I'm just so excited to what we've had. You know, it just gets better and better and better. Yes, and that's why... It's always good to listen and give because that's, that's yes, what we're is. doing, and it's wonderful. That's what, so what Listen, Give, and Savoy does is we listen to the, and chronicle the stories of others, and we give back to society in varied ways. So Mr. J. Logan and for myself, we're signing off right now, and we're going to sign off with, for a change, instead of I want your number, we think it's appropriate, Jay, don't we, to sign off with treasure. Sayonara. Sayonara.